Yo, 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 welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Independent Intel episode seven has arrived, and we have a lot to talk about today because last week was wild and crazy with the NBA trade deadline. Your regular host, Kim Bumani, with my main man, Clement Gibson, doing this wonderful segment once again. But before we dive into all the intriguing basketball news that we got to dive into, that Super Bowl came to a fabulous conclusion. Chiefs came out on top. 38-35 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Clem, I know you're not a football guy like we stated before, but we know the playoffs is where you tap in and lock in to all of the more significant NFL matchups around. What you thought about the game? Did it conclude how you thought it would? And what was one of your bigger takeaways from the matchup overall? Um, yes, first I would like to say that I had the Chiefs winning. Uh, I had Chiefs versus the Vikings, obviously. <laughs> fighting to get close but uh glad to see my final prediction went the way that i thought it would but uh main takeaway is patrick mahomes is now uh, let me preface it by saying this obviously i didn't grow up watching michael jordan play in prime um and growing up a kobe fan i didn't have to watch him play against my favorite team but i feel like i've heard the conversations of like People like, I don't want to go up against this type of guy because they just have that type of skill that you just can never count them out. Um, and you talk, people talk about like the fear of like going up against somebody. And I feel like that's what Patrick Mahomes is kind of forming into. Like a guy, you just can't bet against him because you just never know what he might do. And just that last uh, um, drive, he's running on a, a a bad ankle and he picks up those, I think it was like a 20 yard run or something like that, picks up those extra yards. And that, I know there was a call um, not too long after that, that was a bit controversial, but I think once he made that run, that put them in a position to where regardless of what was going to happen, they were going to win that game. So uh, main takeaway is that Patty Mahomes is a bad boy and, He's entering that territory of guys you just do not want to bet against because you just never know what he's going to do. But he's a winner. He's going to find a way to win. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, when Mahomes came out, came out of college, Texas Tech, uh, he was in the draft class with Deshaun Watson and a whole bunch of other talents. I felt like at that time he had the highest ceiling at, the, you know, going into the NFL. And just watching his collegiate tape, he just reminded me of a more efficient Brett Favre. And we all know how much the NFL loves Brett Favre. And although I do think Brett Favre is one of the more overrated players of all time, he has the MVPs and he's one of the more outstanding players of his era. And so for him to come in in a five-year span as a starter, get two Super Bowl titles, get two Super Bowl MVPs, two league MVPs, five Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, just a phenomenal run. And I really didn't have – I mean, I had some doubt when he got hurt. You know, when he got injured, I was like, well, he is their team. So if he if he's not able to go, I don't see how they could do this. But they've been down 10 before in a Super Bowl and one. They were down double digits at the half. And once I saw that drive coming out of halftime where they just went up down the field and scored, I was like, oh, yeah, they can win this. Um, and he did. And it's no knock against Jalen Hurts. He played phenomenal. I think he submitted himself as a top five quarterback in the league today. It's just Mahomes is at another tier. And we're witnessing kind of what – the old heads used to talk about with Jordan, you know, where he's just at his apex and it just gets to a point where you're like, yeah, you can't bet against him. I was able to kind of see that at the tail end of Tom Brady's career, his last team with the Patriots, 
um, in that first year with the Bucks. Mahomes is literally our errors, Jordan, our errors, Brady. And I think this Super Bowl submitted that he's in a class of his own and that going forward, the only way you're really going to be able to beat him is if, you know, he gets hurt. Um, and he was hurt throughout this playoff run and they still won a championship. The two times I saw him lose in the playoffs, um, he was a rookie his first time. Well, three times. He was a rookie, lost to Tom Brady, mainly because their defense just couldn't get a stop down the stretch. Second time, he didn't have an offensive line in the Super Bowl during the pandemic. And then last time, he had a bad half against Joe Burrow, which is why they didn't go back to the Super Bowl. So it kind of takes things that kind of fall your way. But that's that's what we heard about Brady. That's what we heard about Jordan, where when they're at their apex, you kind of have to be perfect to have a chance. And even then, perfection may not be enough. So congratulations to the Chiefs. Congratulations to Mahomes. Um, submitted himself in my eyes as the third best quarterback of all time. Um, the young goat, I might add, in of his generation. And he's got a long career ahead of him because he's only 27. And I don't think this is the last championship he's going to win. So kudos to that. Also, 12 and 1 on my playoff predictions. It's a pretty good run for me, for sure. 12 and 1. But moving on to the NBA, man, the trade deadline was crazy. One of the more hectic trade deadlines to date. So we're going to really dive into it. First main topic on the board, winners and losers of the deadline. So many things have happened, so we're not going to be able to get to them all. But, Clint, let's talk about the three winners that you may have during this trade deadline. I'm going to give the floor to you. Who was winner one for you during this crazy, hectic transaction period for the NBA? I'm going to say, you know what, though? Let's, let's start off with the dramatics. And perspective is everything. So, long term, I don't think this is a winner. but I think for um, instant gratification, I got the Mavs. I think okay. them. I think them getting Kyrie, pairing with Luca, especially there was a uh, Tim McMahon was on NBA Today talking about how um, he just never heard Luka Doncic be so happy. He said he it was so fun like three or four times while um, answering questions about playing with Kyrie. So. Um, as we know, <laughs> Kyrie's doesn't always happen or, or it doesn't always stay happy. So it'll be interesting to see how long that lasts, but I, I have them as a winner for the short term. Okay. Winner for the short term, winner for the short term. I have the Mavs as a loser, but we're going to focus on the winners as of now. Uh, <laughs> for me, the Nets, man, they cut ties with Durant and Kyrie, that duo, Rewarded them just one playoff series victory in four years. It's safe to say it was a failure. Much of that was more of injuries, coaching incompetency, Kai going AWOL whenever he felt like it was the right time for him to go AWOL. So, you know, they had to pivot off of that, and they did. You know, they dealt Kai to the Mavs, as well as Markeith Morris. Early last week, you get Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, 2029 first-round pick, and two future seconds. And then you turn right back around. A few days later, you cut ties with Durant and TJ Warren. Flip them with the Suns, and you get Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, who they eventually moved to the Bucks. Four unprotected first-round picks in the years 2023, 25, 27, 29, and you get a 2028 second-round pick swap. So with Bridges, he's under contract for the next three years. He's 26. Cam Johnson's eligible for a rookie extension that they now have the cap space to oblige towards and maintain him long-term. You got Finney Smith under contract for the next two years. So you get three quality 3 and D guys. That you can, who are all under contract, you can either build around 
or use as future assets going forward during your rebuild. So for me, I look at the Nets as a winner, not just in the short term, but the long term as well. Because as the scenes were starting to flurry with Kyrie and KD, you kept hearing from their beat riders, you kind of kept hearing subliminally from ownership that they yearn of the yesteryears of Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Lo, and those Nets, who had a surprise playoff run, did get gentlemen swept in the first round, but they liked that style of basketball because it embodied the city and it embodied where the organization was trying to go to culturally. They kind of get that back in my eyes. And I think for the short term, they become a more versatile, better shooting version of the Toronto Raptors. So you're going to be competitive in the East. And then over time with those extra draft picks in the first round, maybe you can lure in a down the road superstar that you can surround around those wing pieces that you have. So for me, they're a winner, not just for the short term, but for the long term as well. Interesting to see how that happens for the franchise. Winner number two for you, Clem. Who do you have? I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, okay. Didn't make too much, um, too many moves, but I think Mike Conley is the guy that um, picture perfect for this franchise and team. Um, I don't remember if Pat Bev has already um, been bought out at the time, but he's been um, he's been bought out by the Magic. I think that happened today or yesterday, but he's been bought out. Okay, okay. So if if they can get him as well, I think that will kind of like capsulate all their moves for the season. And I know earlier in the year we had them uh, ranked in the top four, and I still think there's a little bit of hope there in a very um, interesting time right now because Cat's coming back along. Um, um, Ant just got named as an all-star replacement. So he not only has he been playing really well the last like two months of the season, honestly, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how him and Cat work together and then how Mike Conley can fill the role that D'Angelo Russell left behind. Um, shouldn't be too hard. Um, but <laughs> Trey D'Lo, they finally listened. Uh, uh, but no, it's really it's gonna be interesting to see how he can um, help Rudy Gobert feel steam in that offense. Um, but Ant has proven to be the guy, hands down. So basically, everyone's gonna have to work off of that. But they have four solid, solid starters, and then also. Um, uh, Jalen Jalen uh, McDaniel's as well. So interesting to see how this team's going to come together because this is like, I would say probably one of the better put together teams. Just complete. They got some defense. They have the offense. They have size. They have a veteran presence. They still have the young athletic guys who are going to bring it every night. I think Ants played almost every game this year. Um, so this is a very interesting point. They're either going to turn in the right direction or they're going to regret the entire summer's worth of trades well, that resulted with them getting Rudy Gobert. Yeah, and I think Conley was a solid pickup for them. Um, they need a traditional point guard to be in there and stabilize the transactions they've made and eventually when Cat comes back into the lineup because they built their team to kind of play through their size. And so their guards kind of have to fit in where they can. Now, Ann has adapted finally, so that's huge for the team. But now you bring a guy with Conley that has a rapport with Gobert, that eventually when Cat does come back into the lineup, he can get easier looks as a stretch four. I think that makes the team overall better 
and he's a steady veteran force that can help them locker room rise with leadership. And I think and that's the, something that they lacked because I read some pieces about how D'Lo was losing it because Gobert just was not the fit that he wanted within the offense because he would try to feature him a little bit early in the game and Gobert doesn't have the great hands. So he would fumble passes here and there. Feet. Or feet. So he would fumble passes here or there, travel. And that really uh, agonized with D'Lo extremely to the point where he started muttering about it openly in the locker room. And the, the Wolves did a pretty good job of keeping that under wraps until D'Lo left. And then that was later exposed. So now you get a guy with Kindly, knows what Gobert is good at because they've played with each other for years. And he's a stabilizing veteran force that will understand the peak and valleys of what it is in terms of Gobert's offensive game. And he'll kind of manage through the good and the bad and help that team move along during really the arduous stretch towards a playoff push out West. And you're right. I don't know if they're going to be a top four seed, but the way the standings are aligned, they could get in that fifth to sixth range where come playoff time, they're not a playing team anymore. And they could really just focus on playing in a seven game first round series. And let me tell you a, a, a sneaky, interesting um, part of the trade that a lot of people aren't talking about. Um, I'm forgetting his name. Nikhil Alexander, uh, Alexander Walker right. included in that. Wolves did not have any, outside of D'Lo, like um, McLaugh, McLaughlin, like he, he has been like probably their best backup point guard. And he's been hurt most of the year. Obviously with Patrick Beverly going off the door this offseason, um, that played a, a part in their uh, lack of depth there. Um, what's the guy that comes off the bench? I'm drawing a blank on so many of their names today. Um, Jalen Noel. Jalen Noel. Great score yeah. off the bench, but not a guy who's going to get everybody involved. So no. um, I think with them getting Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a young, long guy, if he can – because he has some stretches in Utah and uh, some stretches uh, in his New Orleans with New Orleans yeah. Pelicans. So if he can, you know, play that background role and, and learn from Conley while he's here, like that could be a nice guy to pair with um, Anthony Edwards long-term, like 6'6", long guy who can – score um if he can get some you know more playmaking abilities and use his length on defense more i think he he could be like one of the sneaky um picks we could be talking about from this trade uh years to come he's another one that um show flashes in new orleans never really got to showcase that beyond that stop and he's another guy who's able to factor in into the rotation and fit into what they're trying to build that could be a solid pickup for the wolves down the stretch for me Another winner, bro. I mean, I got to say the Suns, bro. I mean, look, look, look. Now, while they did give up five future picks, they got KD, bro, without losing their trio of CP3, Booker, and Aiden. Arguably create one of the more dynamic front starting fives with potential 3 and D shooting from Torrey Craig on the wing. And Craig was shooting a career-high 39% from distance. He's going to be within the starting lineup as their 3 and D guy. And might I not add, their bench arguably didn't take a hit either. Campaign's still there, so is Landry Shamit, Jacques Lindell, Bismack Biyombo, Damian Lee, and they even added Terrence Ross as a buyout guy and Darius Baisley in a trade. They basically pivoted off of Sarich and got Baisley in return. That's another young four guy that can come off the bench and give you energy. Our biggest question mark about the Suns coming into this year was two things. The cohesion of their starting five and their bench. Their bench showed, for the most part, that 
they're probably a top five to ten second unit in basketball. Like the bench, which was kind of a worry for me, they showcased that. And a lot of it had to do with Damian Lee coming off the bench, giving them a huge spark plug. That was a solid underrated free agent addition. Shaman gave him quality minutes. Jacques Lundell hasn't been too bad. And Tory Craig is shooting almost 40% from three. So now you bring KD into the picture with their starting five. And then we kind of saw, you know, with Booker out before they made the deal for Durant. Aiden get a 30 and 15 game. Chris Paul kind of slowly find himself. I just feel like with Durant within this team, if they're healthy, Clem, this is the best team in the Western Conference. That's my feel. Your thoughts? I, I don't disagree with you. They're third on my list. Um, I mean, look, I, you, you saw me in the group chat. I was, I was ecstatic. Was like, obviously, being a Devin Booker fan, um, I love this move. Um, maybe not the best long term, but I think right. we've seen this so many times with new ownerships or um, new GMs whatever the case may be, when they come in, they want to get a splash. They want to hit the ground running and prove that they deserve to be here. So uh, Matt Ishbia, the new Suns owner, comes in, and as expected, um, he's willing to make that big splash. And because this move is going to put them over the luxury tax or potentially can put them over the luxury tax, that's something Sarver was not willing to do. So him being able to come in and, and, and uh, take that leap of faith I think has really put them in a prime position to win. I just don't trust it because I've seen um, even in, I mean, I think the the best we've seen this happen with like a, obviously Pogasol is not on KD's level, but um, Pogasol gets traded to the Lakers and the first year they go to the finals. Um, I just don't see it with, with this team because KD's currently injured, Devin Booker's just now working his way back from injury. Chris Paul has an extensive injury history and is older and a smaller guard. And the DeAndre Aiden can be so inconsistent sometimes. I mean, some some weeks I'm like this past week, I'm like, dude, like yeah. I don't know how yeah. to have that trade and not involve him in it. Um right. but then there's I also think back like, well, this is what year five and he hasn't sniffed an all-star. Like there's a reason for it. Um it's incredibly inconsistent, but um, I think off the top of my head, I feel like this, he's probably going to be the best guy, like defensive big man that Katie has ever played with. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how Katie's able to roam on defense, knowing that Aiden's there protecting the rim. Um, also going to be interesting to see how they do the offense defense um, during the down the stretch of the games, because Chris Paul's obviously an offensive player still, but the defense side may be lacking. And I think TJ Warren's a good addition to start at three for his offense. But I can see a lineup where at the end of games, I I know it's unpopular, but I I I, I want them to sign Russell. I want them to sign Russell because go, even man. though <laughs> even though he hasn't played um, the best offensively over the last two years, his defense has proven to still be pretty stellar. Um it's just he's at that point, similar to what we saw with Melo. I just don't know if he's willing to buy into a um, a bench role. But if he if he did, um, I could definitely see an offense-defense switch where you have on defense, Torrey Craig subs in for TJ Warren and Russell Westbrook subs in for, um, for Devin Booker. And he's durable, so you know he's going to be available, whereas Chris Paul, we don't know. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I got the Suns. 
I got the Suns and the Nuggets in the conference finals, and I think the Nuggets are going to get them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say those two teams. Um, look, like the Grizzlies with the best of them, but there's just no way. Like, if the Suns are healthy, Hey, Josh said he's not worried about nobody in the way. He, he, he still said he's not worried, and hey, I mean, he's young, he's confident, you got to die by the sword, but look, I'm being as unbiased as I can. That team went healthy. The Sun, bro, I don't, nobody's touching them. Because there's this narrative about, yo, they don't have a second unit. I'm like, bro, they really didn't lose anybody off the bench. Yeah. Um, when it comes to their starting five, their core three is still there. And then everybody wants to bring up defense. Well, KD's an underrated defender. Devin Booker's an underrated defender. Chris Paul's probably the weakest link. And that's because he's older, but he can he's give still you some a really stretches. Smart defender. Yeah. Right. And Aiden's only problem defensively. It's just been consistency, and that's just his overall problem as an overall player. So mm. I, I just, bro, like, and then and Tory Booker, Craig's no slouch either on defense. Tory Clegg, he's a no slouch either. He's the ultimate three and D guy. I just said he's shooting almost forty percent from three. And mm. I even bring up T.J. Warren, who at times mm. with the Nets he showed flashes. He gets to come off a of reserve role, man. And Durant and Booker are one of the more greater off-ball scorers in basketball. Yeah. And Durant gets to play with arguably the best point guard he's ever played with in Paul. Mm. He's going to get him his spots. This is a tough team. If they stay healthy, they're winning it. But that's the question. Can they stay healthy? Because Booker's got nicked up the yeah. past couple of years. Durant's injury prone. Paul's injury prone. If one of those three guys go down, they're very beatable. Because I, I just don't see, like, this can't be a whole – Booker and Durant got to carry. It's got to be a balanced effort because the way the team's constructed should be a balanced effort. If one of those guys go out, then they're very vulnerable and they're beatable. So that's my whole take on the Suns. My last team before we pivot to losers, I like what the Sixers did, bro. Like they offloaded offensive liability Matisse Dybul to Portland. You get some picks back, but you get a high ceiling replacement and Jalen McDaniels, who for the Ornets averaged 10.5 points a game. That's a career high. And so now Doc Rivers has a wing lineup of Tobias Harris, Jalen McDaniels, P.J. Tucker, and Daniel House. All of these guys can either defend on the wing and or consistently shoot open threes. That's what you want, man, out of a situation like that. And that's what you need as well. So I like what the Sixers were able to do, bro. They kind of Got rid of Thibel, who I always liked coming out of college, but he's kind of Andre Roberson. Like, he gives you great effort defensively, but he's not a knockdown shooter. So now in the playoffs, bro, when you pull out these wing lineups, you want somebody that can defend a Giannis, defend a Jalen Brown, defend a Jason Tatum, but they can stay on the floor and hit corner threes when Embiid and Harden attract doubles. So I think they have that within their lineup. So those are my three winners, my guy, in the West, who are your three losers? Start with loser number one, Clem, for you. Um, it's got to be the Lakers. Um, it's they made a lot of good moves. Um, I just think they're the loser because it's a little too late. I mean, even the last couple games, LeBron hasn't even played um, at all. <laughs> and even though Russ isn't on the team anymore, but I, I, I don't think Russ was as much at the problem this year, at least as we all made it seem. Um, 
a lot of the games that I watched, especially the big games that they won, I saw him make a lot of big hustle plays. Probably the best win of the year was against Milwaukee in Milwaukee. And yeah. Russ had a pretty good game and made like some really good hustle and defensive plays down the stretch. And right now, I just question who on the team is going to be doing that night in and night out. Um, I know D'Angelo Russell's not going to do it. No. Anthony Davis jumped on the floor and he shatters everything. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, like LeBron's at this age, I, I just can't rely on him to be doing that. And apparently, his foot injury is more serious than. Um, we known it to be because I didn't even know anything was wrong with him until the end of that uh, game when he broke the record. Um, and I'm just looking at like I feel like their best lineup is with Vanderbilt at the four, with LeBron at the three, and then with uh, um, D'Lo. Okay, D'Lo. Yeah, and, and then it's like Beasley at that at two, two, you can go with Malik yeah. Beasley. But I I don't know I I feel like. Delo's going to struggle a bit to be that much off the ball. Um, I think there was a little bit more to the the beef and animosity with AD sitting down during LeBron's game, you know, yeah, a record-breaking shot. Like, I still feel like there's just some bad vibes on the team, and I don't think Russell Westbrook alone is going to be the reason why everything just snaps back. And there's only so much time left in the season. Like, I just can't imagine them winning enough games on top of the West getting this much better, you know, um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's gonna be tough, man. Like I, I, I just I just don't think it was the best trade for them to make. But the team did get better. Just it's gonna look bad because at the end of the year, I can see them not making the playoffs again. Yeah, I mean it's a real possibility. I think the moves they made at the deadline, which is why they just missed the loser cut for me. They made play-in moves, and I think that's their objective. It's like, look, if we get into the play-in, we have two in their eyes, two top 10, 15 talents in the league that can help get us to the playoffs. And if we get to the playoffs, hey, we'll take our chances in a seven-game series with LeBron and AD on the floor. Um, So I didn't really put them as losers because I think with those guys on their squad, they'll be better. But I don't think it's better enough to get to where they want to get to, which is contend for a title. Obviously not. Um, and Westbrook, you know, my, I talked about it a little bit to my dad. He brought up a good point. Probably going to miss, I think the guy that's probably going to miss him the most is AD because Westbrook, I thought, kind of found a niche as a six man. And mm-hmm. when he came in, he really made life easier for guys like Anthony Davis and Thomas Robinson. And so you kind of saw the difference when they played Golden State. Schroeder and D. are running the point. And they're just not natural enough playmakers in comparison to Russell. They're scores. And so while they had no problem getting their buckets, AD struggled to get easier shots for himself. And that kind of acquiesced to going 5 of 19 from the floor. So that's my whole thing with the Lakers. I think the biggest loser, bro, it's got to be the Warriors. Look, man, they obtained an injured GP2 in a four-team deal that saw them ship James Wiseman to Detroit. It was a wonder if the deal would ever go through. After Gary Payton II second failed his physical due to a prior core muscle injury, they kept him around, I think, on a courtesy tip. But the team, bro, it didn't add anything to offset an already aging roster that's without their best player and has current undeveloped young talent on the team. Golden State fans were really hoping that during the deadline they'd make moves. They did not. And currently with a roster is constructed, even if Curry comes back from his injury, 
this is a playing basketball team. And if they get out of the play-in, I don't see them getting out of the first round. And I think the issue is they leaned on. I think a lot of their fan base and I think the organization fell in love with the title run last year. And they kind of didn't really provide in my eyes any type of youthful injection just in case things go awry. And what could go awry is you rely so much on your old core that they start to break down. Steph Curry broke down twice. And I think this second injury he just got Clem, looks very severe. And I wouldn't be surprised if after the All-Star break, if they fall off the wayside, Curry doesn't come back. Because what's the point? You got to protect your investment long term. Klay Thompson is a streaky shooter. He had that fabulous game against somebody where he went off. All the Clay supporters were like, thought y'all say he was washed. I'm like, dude, he's shooting a career low from the field. He's a streaky shooter at this point in time. We saw this last weekend. He shot five from 21 from the field. So you're relying on Clay and Poole, two streaky shooters, to kind of make up for the offensive effectiveness that's no longer there because Curry's gone and they're hot and cold. They don't play good defense. They're woefully undersized. And their young guys don't come in and really kind of acquiesce to the roles that they want them to have. My biggest thing for the Warriors were if they wanted to contend in the West this year, those young guys had to take the next step like an Andrew Wiggins took last year. And none of them really have. And so they didn't do anything at the deadline to kind of replenish a bare cupboard. So in my eyes, they're a big loser because you trade away James Wiseman. That's fine. But you get Gary Payton, the second back who's hurt and won't play for the next three months. How is that helping your team? It's not. So they're a big loser for me. Who's loser number two for you? Yeah, uh, staying on that same note. Um, not surprised to hear you say the words are losers, but uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think yeah. they're. Um, it's like you already don't have Curry for. We we don't even know how long. Um, you think you're getting Peyton to come back? Turns out he's hurt. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, are we gonna? keep going with this deal or are we going to get Wiseman back? But you can't even revert that trade because Wiseman's going to, like his confidence is already low. Him coming back to the team after like <laughs> knowing, like it's one thing to be like, oh, you're on the trading block and we offered you. It's another thing to like, oh yeah, we actually went through with it, but it didn't work the because Correct. <laughs> uh, the guy we actually wanted is hurt. So come on back. <laughs> like That'd be like the worst thing for him. Um, so, yeah, very difficult time for them because obviously James Wiseman wasn't playing a part, but he was an able body. Um, so not having TP2 ready to play puts them in an even more difficult situation. And I feel like so many of their best players are perimeter players. Um, and then obviously with Wiseman going out the door, that makes him even smaller. And even though Draymond plays pretty big, he's the size of a guard. And he's getting older, so his athletic abilities are declining. Um, even though Kevon Looney's younger and a bit bigger, he's only really like six nine. So yeah, six um, eight, six nine. Yeah, yeah. Like he makes up with it with his great positioning and rebounding consistency, but they don't have any size. And you're looking at the Western Conference. I mean, not looking like I don't even want to talk about Zion right now. But I mean, if you Get matched up with the Zion Williamson in the playoffs. Like, that's fried chicken. You get uh, Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. It's over with. You got DeAndre Ayton in the playoffs. Like, 
there's so many teams out west that are going to have bigger guys that can abuse them. I mean, even on a smaller level, like Christian Wood, even though he's not a bigger guy, but he's long. And when he hangs out around the basket, he can get a, a lot more point, um, rebounds, and he averages almost 20 points a game. So um, you look at all of these guys, they're, they're probably going to have to face in a round one. They're not going to have the pieces to do that. So um, to leave the trade deadline with that uh, spot still being a big gap, um, is concerning, and then, I mean, I I I'm a stars guy, you know that, and I just think regardless, no Curry, they're not going anywhere. So, um, the fact that they couldn't get somebody to be in a secondary role, even a Jordan Poole, I know everyone like loves Jordan Poole and thinks he's a future star, but I I don't think that personally. I think he's great as a six man. I think he's one of the best six men in the league, but when you're asking him to consistently be the best player every single night or be the second best player behind like a, I mean, honestly, I think he's better than Clay at this point, but um, they got holes that they didn't fill basically. And um, it's going to be interesting to see if Curry's going to trust Kaminga um, down the stretch or a Moody or who they're going to use to fill these voids. Cause it doesn't look like Curry's going to be back. And if he is, he's not going to be hundred percent. That, that's real. And if this season goes how I think it will, they have a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered during the offseason. Do you bring Draymond back? What decision do you make on a fading Klay Thompson? Um, how do you want to restructure and remodel this team around a Steph Curry who's still in his prime, but he's damn near at the tail end? So, look, like I said, when they won a championship, the run is over. And it's looking like it's coming to an abrupt end. But Second loser, man, I'm going to say the Mavs. I know you had the Mavs as a brief winner in the short term, but how I look at it is they traded their best perimeter defender in Dorian Finney-Smith and future draft capital for arguably half a season of Kyrie Irving. While if it doesn't work out, they're cool. They're going to be off the hook economically. It's going to clear up like $50-some million in cap space. The team arguably is in even more of a defensive liability with two ISO-oriented guards. Now, for Kai's sake, he looks like he's going to be the team's playmaker because through the three games he's played with Dallas, he's averaged around seven assists a game. But we all know if Kyrie Irving is your point guard, that's not sustainable long-term because he's a scorer at heart. Eventually, when times get tough, he's going to want to get his buckets. And how will Luka feel about that in moments where he's not touching the basketball? I think a revealing thing for me was when they were both on the floor against the Kings. It was cool for a while. But then when the game got tight, you saw the difference between the Kings just giving it to De'Aaron Fox, figure it out, because that's kind of been their go-to perimeter guy in closing moments. While, yeah, it was the first game between Kyrie and, and Luka, but you kind of saw his turn, my turn, his turn, my turn. And we've seen that before with some great duos before these guys. We saw it with Westbrook and Durant. We saw it with Kyrie and Durant at times and just against better playoff competition. That's not sustainable. And so that's why I think they're a loser because long-term, I don't think Kyrie's going to stick around. And then short-term, I don't think this is good enough to win a playoff series depending on who they match up with. Like, I think if they play Sacramento in round one, that's going seven. And who knows? Because, yeah, Luka, Kyrie, do I think that's a better duo than... De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis 
on paper, yeah, but on the floor, considering that the Kings do us actually had continuity and chemistry for the past almost two years, I'm going to have a little bit more faith in them. So it's just tough for Dallas. I know a lot of people when that deal went down, they're pushing the math to the Western Conference Finals. I want to know what they're seeing because I don't see that. And that's why I look at them as a loser. Final loser for you, Clint, before we wrap this segment up. They're looking at buckets, man. And, you know, guys ain't playing defense as much as they used to. So I think that's 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 what it is. I think they can make it to the second round, but I think they'll ultimately lose to um, the Suns or the Nuggets. Um, nevertheless, uh, last team I have on my list. Ironically, I feel like we, we kind of had similar trends, like, you had the Mavericks as a loser, I had them as a winner. You had the Nets as a winner, I have them as a loser. Okay. Um, and I'll explain why. One, living, well, working in New York City, um, I see the, the push and pull for, for power. And as great as Brooklyn was or had the potential to be, they still struggle to get people in seats. They still struggle to be the face of New York basketball, which whether they admit it or not, I think that was like a big hurdle that they wanted to jump over. Um, yes, they were able to break up what seemed to be a very dysfunctional team. But for me, it's everything that happened to get to this point. And on top of that, I think they just have too many pieces right now like I think they have a good defensive identity with Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, Dwight Finney-Smith, um, um, Nick Claxton um, but I'm I'm questioning how is Cam Thomas going to feel about this um, this new regime because obviously he's not a defensive player um, but I feel like he's been finding his stride so him getting moved to the bench now I don't think he's going to start. I think uh, Dinwiddie's going to be their starting point guard. So how do you make room for him to still grow? Is he is he going to want to be in a six-man role? And then you still have quality guys who are not going to be getting touches and minutes. And I think the, the Nets ultimately want to have a star. And I don't see Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. Um, I mean, Nick Claxton has made a jump, but none of them have like that star potential. So I feel like ultimately they're going to find themselves in free agency again, trying to find the next Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Now, I think it was a good decision to get off those guys, but I just, I feel like they should have tried to, maybe they didn't, but I just don't think Mikael Bridges is the second or first best player on a like playoff contending team. I think he's more of a third best player. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all of this is going to work out. But I just – I don't think it's a great fit. And I think Cam Johnson can potentially leave in free agency this year. Um, so all of these things you look at, I'm like, did they really get what they wanted? They have the freedom now. Kyrie's gone. But they can really plummet this year. And a lot of their draft picks are out the door. I feel you. I mean, that's an understandable aspect of it. Uh, I don't think they'll plummet. I think the team that they currently have, like I said before, I think it's Toronto with better shooting. Um, so I think that's enough for you to be a playoff team. However, a lot of it hinges on 
do they hit on the draft picks and do they get a free agent starter come in that's better than what they already have on the roster? If they don't do those two things, then yeah, it's a failure long term. And I think it's all fine and dandy to talk about you want a culture basketball wise that's built about grinding and being basketball first and being the consummate professional. But at the end of the day, this league is about winning championships. And every championship team I've seen, outside of a few, like the Detroit Pistons in the early 2000s, you need a star. You need a superstar. You need a superstar, and then you need a consolary piece beside the superstar that's all-star caliber. They don't have that right now, and I think they're fine with that. But if in the next two to three years you're not going anywhere, then it's a concern. But I'm going to say they're a winner because they got off of Kyrie. You got a boatload of draft picks. You got some nice wing guys that can kind of formulate an identity that you're looking towards moving forward. I think they found their coach for their culture in Jacques Vaughn. Mm -hmm. They just need more. They need the things that they've got and the things that they're banking on to translate in the next two to three years. And we'll see what happens. My last loser, bro, is the Heat. They stayed pat. Mm -hmm. The problem with staying pat is you still got Kyle Lowry on the roster. (laughs) And he's kind of And no true power forward on that team. No true power forward on the team either. Now, Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo are having career seasons. So they're starting to take the steps to being all-stars. That's cool, but they truly need a league guard who can make their lives easier because right now, Hero and Adebayo kind of exchange duties as playmakers alongside Jimmy Butler. And I think all three of those guys are fabulous guys when they're playing to their strengths. But when you have them doing extra things like being facilitators and all those other things, you're kind of overloading their plate. And they need a guard, bro, to make their lives easier. You said they don't have a power forward. I agree with that. Bam is going to continue to be their five. They did trade away Dwayne Dedman. So right now, Bam is their five. And Highsmith is their five as well off the bench. I think both of those guys are under seven feet. When they play a Milwaukee when they play a Philly, when they play even a Boston, that's going to be a problem. So I thought they should have made moves. They didn't. So I guess they're banking on, hey, Bam got better from last year. Hero got better from last year. So we no longer have to hope that Jimmy Butler has to carry us to an Eastern Conference title. He now has help. But the guard play is still pedestrian at the point spot. And like you said, they're still undersized. And they didn't address those things at the deadline. So that's why, in my eyes, they're a loser. Yeah, surprised to see them not make a move. Um, They're currently the sixth seed right now. But them against any of those top four, I had them going home in the first round. So not sure why they didn't make a move. But um, maybe they have something brewing. You know, Miami has that culture where – you just can't bet against them because every year they prove you wrong. But, you know, we'll see. That's true. That's true indeed. I mean, look, two of the last three years, they make it to at least the conference finals. And the year yeah. they didn't, they lost to the defending champs. So yeah, their motto is recently, as long as we don't play a team that's in the finals, we're going to beat them. But we'll yeah. see, man. We will see. Boston versus Milwaukee. That's the next topic. Clem, huge Tuesday night matchup between these two squads. The top two seeds in the East right before the All-Star break. It'll be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as well. The Bucks have won 10 straight. Boston had an impressive win last Sunday against Memphis, despite Tatum shooting horrible. And so now, like I said it before, 
two best teams in the conference will meet for the ultimate grudge match. Now, the Celtics won't have Jalen Brown and they won't have Marcus Smart, but I think Brogdon will return. What are you kind of looking towards in this potential matchup that I think we can honestly say it's probably a preview of the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, not only two best teams in the East, but two best teams in the league, uh, looking at yeah. percentage-wise. Um, Milwaukee is less than 10% ahead of um, Denver, but um, it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, obviously, Jalen Brown's injury is a bummer because uh, he always brings it against them. Um, but good for him. He won't need surgery or anything like that. He'll be wearing a mask and uh, be taking it day to day. Um, what I really am looking forward to is just the Jake Crowder debut. Um, obviously, being a Suns fan, I feel a little bit of a way that he sat out this long. Um, he <laughs> says it was about the money, but then he says it wasn't about the money, but then it was about respect, a.k.a. coming off the bench. But then again, it wasn't really about coming off the bench because he's a team player, quote-unquote. All these different reasons. I just want to see what type of shape he's in because he's no spring chicken, all right? Um, especially similar to Draymond, like he's one of those guys who are like, they play bigger than their size. So he usually guards perimeter players, but can guard power forwards and stretch the floor. So look, you can work out all that you want, but there's nothing like getting in NBA shape other than like playing NBA basketball. So really anxious to see how he fits in that team. And really interested that Milwaukee was just so gung-ho about him because they have, like, I feel like their best players are bigs. So I always wonder, like, in the, in the down the stretch of games, you know, obviously Chris Middleton and, and Drew Holiday, but Giannis, Bobby Porter, and uh, Lopez. Brooke Lopez, like, I mean, I feel like that's, like, their five best players right there. So now Jay Crowder's about to come get Bobby Porter's minutes? Or is he taking Joe's Ingles' minutes? And how does that affect? Like, is he going to be able to shoot the way that he used to shoot? Um, and he, you know, he's a very streaky shooter too. So I was just surprised that they, I think they're really infatuated with what PJ Tucker did for them. And they really think he can be that, but I don't think he's PJ Tucker. Um, I think he can still stretch the floor a bit, but I, I think PJ Tucker brings a different level of tenacity to this game. And, Jay Crowder is like a, he's a dog, don't get me wrong, but like he has more like that, like, you know, cocky, like, oh man, like, new score on me, it is what it is. Like, and I'm not putting him on KD in no conference finals or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I really want to see how he fits in with the team and what he looks like after staying out for this long. Um, but I don't think it'll be a close game. Honestly, I think Giannis and I'm going to sweep them come out, punch him in the mouth, and then it'll, you know, it'll be justified because no smart, no brown. Um, and Milwaukee has been playing better, won 10 in a row, hottest team in the league right now. So um, Boston need to watch out because Milwaukee about to take this number one seed. All right, Chris Middleton hasn't even really gotten back to the Middleton we know. So uh, I can definitely see Milwaukee ending the season as the number one team, which would make it a very interesting convo for that MVP uh, award. It would, it would indeed. Um, look, Jay Crowder, that's a great point you brought up. I, I always thought Crowder was a little overrated. I never thought he was a great defender. Never thought he was a great shooter, but you're right. I think they're kind of trying to tap back into that P.J. Tucker 
role that they truly missed last postseason. But like you said, P.J. Tucker was very great at two things, defensive versatility and corner three-point shooting. Smart, I mean, not smart. Crowder, he doesn't bring that. He just really doesn't. Um, For me, what I'm looking towards is Boston's perseverance without their stars. They beat a relatively healthy Memphis squad last weekend because they made 20-plus threes. And what I've seen from them this season is they are unbeatable when they're lights out from deep. But when they're not lights out for deep, they become a little bit stagnant offensively and they're very vulnerable. And so I'm interested to see against a Milwaukee squad that's went out of their way this season to guard the three-point line. That used to not be a thing they used to do. When they close out on those shooters, what's to counteract? Can they keep it going on the road? Because they've been able to, without at times, Brown or Tatum in the lineup, stay onward. Um, and with the Bucks. Just Middleton continuing to find his rhythm. He looked very good against the Lakers. And recently, I'm starting to see a little bit of the old Middleton. And if he can kind of get back to what he used to be, and what he used to be was, you know, 18 to 20 point per game guy that you could rely on on the perimeter to take a little bit of load off of Giannis, Milwaukee has something. And you're right. Whoever gets the number one seed in the East, bro, I, I really think it's probably going to win the conference. Um, and I don't. Look, that Boston TD Garden, that Boston Garden home court advantage, that's real. And if they got to go through Milwaukee to win the championship, I don't know if they can do it. Because, you know, last year, Tatum, not talked about enough, bro, because I know Tatum, you know, clocked out in the finals. His game six performance against Milwaukee in the semis was unbelievable. He won him that game. He couldn't, he couldn't miss. And, but that's an aberration, bro. Like, you know, if, they have to go through Milwaukee to get to the finals. Can I rely on Tatum doing that again on the road? And Tatum has kind of shown this year he's a little inconsistent. So important matchup for the standings. I agree. I like Milwaukee. I don't think it'll be a blowout, though. I think it'll be close. But I think over time, the Bucks will just pull away because they're going to have their core pieces. They're going to be there. They're going to make that push. They kind of send a statement. And they're a team, bro. They're really... Did the personification of turning on the switch because there was a moment in time in the regular season. I'm like, yo, they good. And then Giannis come back, they went 10 straight. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, they're good. And so they're starting around in the playoff mode. Like a few teams I've seen around the league are, they're taking it really serious and they're trying to send a message to everyone out east that they're still top dogs. So I expect them to come out on top. Next topic ahead, next topic ahead, Oklahoma City Thunder Clem. Are they really a playing squad? You know, last time we talked about this, I said, yo, I think the Thunder are better than the Warriors at that moment in time. Now, you was like, yes, yo, yo, did. yo. You he, was like, prop, prop. he was like, crazy. I'm like, better right now. I don't think it will last, but I think they're better right now. But it might last, bro, because Warriors are currently injured. But our OKC, a play-in team, is obviously the big question today. Look, they're 10th. In the West, they're 27 and 28. SGA has established himself as a budding star. He's averaging 31 a game on 51% shooting from the field. That's incredible. But what a lot of people be sleep on is Josh Giddy's playing particularly well. Jalen Williams, the rookies, giving them solid minutes off the bench. Mm -hmm. I didn't even bring up Lou Dort. I think Lou Dort is Dylan Brooks, just not dirty. Like he actually plays defense, can shoot the basketball pretty well. Not a hack. He's got a higher ceiling. This is a team, bro, that I feel like. 
they have what it takes to be a play-in because Utah's kind of sliding. Portland's kind of panning out how I thought they would. Golden State's injury riddled. Are you sold on OKC being a play-in squad in 2023? I'm not sold on it, no. But if I had to give a percentage of yes versus no, um, I think it's right now it's at like um, – 65 35 split towards the no just because okay i don't i think the organization understands that they're not going to be able to make it um and i think they're going to slowly but surely like pull guys back like i i really want to see what they look like after the all-star break because right now i feel like they want to do right by shay and and you know not give off the the look like they're um, trying to tank. Um, but I think they're smart enough to know, like, even if we do make it this year, it's not going to get us anywhere. And we have a chance still to be one of the worst five teams in the NBA. So um going to be really interesting to see how they handle things after the All-Star break, after Shea gets his love as a um, – as an all-star, represents the franchise. Um, but they play hard, man. These dudes play hard. And they they have a lot of guys. Like, if you don't – if you're not a league pass guy, you're going to look past a lot of these names. Like, Jalen Williams, the way he's been playing. Oh, my goodness. I was watching him. Like, I'm not going to – he's not hardened, but, like, his size kind of reminds me of a young partner. 6'6", like, 220, like – not like super cut, but just like solid guy. Like in just the way he drives to the basket, he's just really strong. Um, and a sneaky good playmaker too. Like not a great shooter, but um, can really play make and uh, get to the basket at will sometimes. And Josh Giddy too. Like his handle of the ball, his confidence, the way he's been going to the lane. Um, I've, I used to see him more as like a pass first point. Um, but he's starting to round more into like a, a score first guy. Um, still has the ability to pass, but he's really getting to the lane and driving um, with authority. And then obviously, like you said, Dort's defensive um, ability. Another guy, Pokusevsky, like who a lot of people didn't think was going to be a valuable player. Like he's he's been uh, pretty good for them as well. Not crazy good on the uh, stat sheet, but. Um, if you watch games and look at his impact, he's been pretty good for them. Um, and then obviously implementing the size that they don't have, you know, Kenrick Williams is a good player. Um, it's like six six, so having Poku there, uh, a legit seven footer has helped. Um, but no, props to SGA, he's been the the catalyst for this team. So I really think it just depends on what they want to do with him after the All Star break, because I can see them sitting him and just being like all right, you know, you've had your season, you've proven that you're an all-star, you're one of the best young guards in the league, um, but now it's time to, like, focus on our future. <laughs> if Chet was coming back, um, maybe I would have a little more faith just because I'd be another body and help them with the defensive end, um, but I don't think that's going to happen, so I think they're going to finish probably 11th or 12th because Portland's going to really want it, and I think the Lakers are going to really want to try a little bit harder, um, and I think those are – and shoot, even Utah, I mean, they're still playing. So I can see them finishing 11th and 12th. 
Um, and I can see them sitting Shea out um, down the stretch. Yeah. Look, I always felt coming into the year, they have a roster to where if they really gave a heck, they could win at least 30 games. And they're going to win at least 30 games. Now, do I think they're a playing team? I do, and here's why. The West has been pretty weak this year, and a lot of that is because of injuries. Right now, I didn't even know they were the 10th seed, but I looked up this morning, they're the 10th seed in the West. And so I think the players feel it, the coaching staff feels it, and I truly believe Sam Presti's using this year as a building block to establish their culture to where when Shaq comes back from injury, he can just slide and fit right in. And what a lot of individuals don't understand Bro, it's not just SGA. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. But Josh Giddy's averaging 16, 7, 16 and 7, bro. 16 and 7. 16.7 boards. He's shooting 44% from the field. That's a career high. He's shooting 32% from three. That's a career high. He's looked like the best sophomore prospect in his class outside of Evan Mobley. Like he's taken that next step. And in his rookie year, he won multiple Western Conference rookies of the month. So They've built a quality squad around SGA to where now you can see it. And I know for a fact next season with Shed Holger, they're a playoff team. They just are. They're going to be a playoff team for me. I think the only issue with the Thunder is they have no size. And that's because their size was Shed, and that went out the window when he got hurt in a program game in Seattle. So I think that's the only difference that separates them from some other young teams in the league. So, you know, and I kind of talked to this about you. Look, there's a lot of conversation on Twitter. People like SGA over Morant, whoop whoop And a lot of people try to sell it as, well, SGA's team is trash in comparison to the Grizzlies. And I'm like, are they, though? Like, the gap is in the front court. Because if we're looking at it from a guard perspective, I like Giddy's upside more than Bain. Like, look, I call Bain swole Clay Thompson. And look, he gets buckets. He can shoot. But Giddy does more on the floor as a playmaker, facilitator, driver to the basket. Lou Dortz, in my eyes, is better than Dylan Brooks. He just is. I'm sorry. And a lot of people feel SGA and Moran are in the same class, so the only difference is the front court. You know, the Grizzlies have Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. The OKC Thunder have the other Jalen Williams, and they're undersized. Like, they don't have anybody that I can recollect that's seven feet. I mean, they did add Dorio Sarge. He's not seven feet. He's like 6'9". So, Oh, that's cool. the only – oh, the Thunder. They got Dario Sarge. So, uh, well, Poku, they do. He's seven, but he's, he's light, and he's really a wing. So <laughs> that's the only issue for the Thunder's size, and that's going to be, in my eyes, remedied in the draft and in free agency and with Shaq coming back. So they have a nice squad that's up and coming for years to come. The days of the Thunder taking are over, and they just proved to me, because I saw flashes of it last year, this was never this trash team that everybody thought it was. They just went out of their way to tank with draft picks. Like, this isn't the Houston Rockets with, like, a whole bunch of talent, but they're a chicken with a with no head. Like, they have no, no type of identity. OKC has a coach. They have an identity. They have a great GM that knows how to bring in talent. From now until probably the next five to six years, it's all about putting it together to bring a champion to Oklahoma City because they weren't able to do that during the Durant era or the Paul George era at all. So that's the next step. Should be interesting. Should be interesting indeed. And last but not least, we're going to wrap this up with the Denver Nuggets. Should they still be favored in the West? So 
Reggie Jackson is a bio pickup they're going to make. He's going to replace Bones Highland. They got Thomas Bryant to be their backup opposite of Nikola Jokic. That's great because DeAndre Jordan's done. He needs no more minutes. But we got to keep it real, man. Like, the Suns loaded up, and we talked about how if they're healthy, they they, they the top dogs. It looks like with Denver, they're going to maintain their core, get rid of Bones Highland because he was kind of being a malcontent. So it's like, get him out of there. Let's get a veteran guy in here because we're all about winning with our core. So they're maintaining what they already have. And what they already have has them as the top seed in the West. Mm-hmm. Did they do enough to stay at least top two? Or are you worried? I'm not worried. Um, primarily because the best teams in the West that aren't outside of the Nuggets, I'm not worried about their front court players. And I think that would be the, their main weakness, obviously, is defense. But KCP is a good defender. Jamal Murray's not a – he's an average defender, but he's like a 6'5 point guard. So um, I think that helps a little bit more, the fact that he has some size on him. And then for some defensive linemen, he can even bring in Bruce Brown, who can defend wing players. Um, Aaron Gordon's another pretty good defender. Uh, obviously, Michael Porter Jr. is a turnstile. But um, – I think they have lineups where they can prioritize defense and not lose offense. Um, so the main reason why I fear for them is because I look at matchups where Jokic is going to have to be making stops. But DeAndre Aiden is so inconsistent. I don't think – and when you have so much offensive um, weapons like a Devin Booker and KD, I don't think they're going to be going to DeAndre Aiden down the stretch to – um, make uh, to go at um, Nikola Jokic's bad defense. I don't see Dallas in, doing the same with Christian Wood. Um, I don't see Jaron Jackson being a focal point of the Grizzlies' offense down the stretch in big games. So, and even the Clippers, like Vincent Subak is not going to be the guy who's going to have the ball in his hand. So I think Jokic is going to be able to play the background more. So their weakest defender being someone who can be you know, hidden, I think, will play to their advantage. Um, and then we obviously we know what they can do on the offensive end. And that's the main reason why I think they're going to come out the West. If they were to play that, I think the Sacramento Kings could be a sneaky good team as far as matchups in favor of the Kings. But I just don't think they're going to match up. I can see the Kings sliding down a little bit, and then they're probably not going to be able to meet in the playoffs. So, um I still got Denver coming out the West, man. Uh, I think they will match up with the Mavericks or the Suns in the um, semifinals. I think we're going to get a really blockbuster offensive-powered series that's going to be like one for the books. But ultimately, whoever they play in the conference finals, whether it be the Dallas Mavericks or um, the Phoenix Suns, I think they have enough offense and enough defense and enough of Michael Malone pushing the tempo and effort. He's going to hold guys accountable, Ken. Whether you like him or not, he we holds hope. guys accountable. <laughs> and I love that about him, okay? I love that about him. So he's not going to let his guys just be out there slacking off. Um, one move who I really thought they should have and could have made, I think they could have gotten off of um, MPJ, this trade deadline. Like, they could have. Maybe not they a really popular... Could've. Popular move, but 
he's obviously he's shown that he's declining a bit yeah. and he's like getting to a stagnant point where it's like his back's never going to be healthy enough for him to be the player that they think he's going to be like getting off of him to get if they could have got like a Macau Bridges um worked away in there or I mean maybe OG was like a little bit too much to get but if they could have got even like Cam Johnson, like you slide Cam Johnson in that role, like for sure. I think I think they could have definitely taken an even bigger step. But defense is their biggest weakness. But like I said, I think Jokic is going to be able to be in a position where you can hide him. So obviously he's gonna, they're going to flourish on the offensive end. So I still got them coming out the West, and I got them losing in the finals to Giannis and Pupo on the Bucks. Not bad, not bad at all. Look, I got him top two, man. Look, I've slowly but surely started buying into Denver. Denver, do not let me down, bro. Because okay. look, I'm starting Love to buy you. in. Okay, don't let me down. But I just think this is their year. And I think they did a pretty good job of kind of establishing their core this season. And they wanted to prioritize depth. And like I stated before, Bones was a little bit of a malcontent. It was like, yo, gotta get you out of here. Let's get a stabilizer of that. And Reggie Jackson's gonna come in, knows his role. Go onward. And Thomas Bryant showed in LA he's a solid, while undersized, second unit big. So now they can go 10 deep. And they play everything through Jokic. He's a top three talent in the game. I was two years ahead of this when I said he was top five. Everybody's come around. He can do no wrong. He is the universe for this squad. And they got shooters. And they can play two types of styles, bro. They can run with you, they can slow it down, they can shoot you out the gym. They can play inside. They're just tough. And I just look at it as, look, the only team I see stopping them is the Suns, bro, because they healthy. They can score with you, and they can get stops defensively. This is their year. If they do not at least get to the Western Conference Finals, Mike Malone deserves to be fired. It's that no. Simple. No. <laughs> it's that simple, Come bro. On. It's That's that cap, simple. Bro. How That's is cap. it, Cal? Okay, bro, here, Mike, here's why. How are you? They they they've been they've been doing so well. Like they were the sixty last year without um their second best player and third best player most of the year. Like even right. before that, would they finish the second seed the year before that? Like they've been a solid team for years, and that shows you not only obviously Jokic's dominance and, and, and ability to withhold the team, but Jokic isn't a leader. He's not going to go out there and push guys around and, and make sure they're in a place. Michael Malone's the voice. He's the one who's like making sure everyone's uh, being held accountable and leading that team. So even sure. if they don't make it this year, even if they don't make it next year, because I think they'll be a top team in the West next year. I feel mm-hmm. like that's like it would have to be like some really bad playoff meltdowns for them to put him on the hot seat. But I think next year they'll be even better because Jamal Murray's just now getting back into form when he has a whole offseason to rest and heal. And maybe they can get off of Michael Porter Jr. I can see them being even in a better position next year. But the Suns, I just worry that they're not going to be healthy. I think, I think KD and Devin will be fine. I think DeAndre Ayton is going to be inconsistent. We know that. Um, but I think Chris Paul is going to have. He's either going to plummet in his play or he's going to have like a little injury. And I think they're not going to have a backup point guard to get those guys into the spots. That's why I think they need Russell Westbrook. There you go, Westbrook, bro. Look, I'm look. Just saying, look. I'm not even look. a Westbrook fan, but I just I, I know. Just know what's gonna happen. It happens every year with Chris Paul. Yeah, um, I think the Westbrook ship is sailed with Durant on the team. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just keep saying that. 
But they need to squash um, that, man. <laughs> I, I think it's no, I think it's squashed, bro. I think they're fine in real life. I just don't. I think Durant understands, bro. I can't win with this dude, bro. Like, and it's it's cool. Now you're right. Look, Denver. What I'm saying is this: it it'll come down to how they lose. I'm not holding the last two seasons where it was just Jokic and a bunch of dudes against Malone, but the bubble against the Lakers, they didn't show up. Okay. They did. They were young. They didn't show up though, bro. All right. They were young, but they didn't show up. And then prior to that, also, a lot of people don't remember, they didn't show up. They were down three one in two series. All right. Now granted, Utah but they won is, three one. <laughs> they they did, but mainly because one, Utah is Utah. And then two, we can keep it a stack, bro. The Clippers then won't be in the bubble. And then the series and then the postseason prior to that. Bro, game seven at the crib against the Blazers, they literally come out lethargic. They didn't come to play and they lost that too. So I out of all those, this is the best season for them to at least make a deep run. If they don't at least get to the conference finals, we need to have a conversation because the conversation needs okay. to be, look, Jokic is at the peak of his prime. Jamal Murray probably next season will be 100% back. So he's going to be return to form. Gordon, Bruce Brown, KCP, you have the pieces. So if he's not able to get it done, we need to have a new voice in here that can because they're on the clock. Because Denver's kind of in that weird position where they're not really young anymore, like a Memphis, OKC, or even Sacramento. They're kind of like mm-hmm. in the middle, where it's like we got a guy close to his prime, two guys close to their primes, and we have a bunch of early veterans. So they have like a three, four-year window with this core, and if they don't get it done in a Western Conference, like it's not going to look good if in a couple years they have no championships. And then in a couple years, OKC laps them. Or Memphis finally turns that corner. So it's now or never. Um, no pressure, Mike. You got to get it done. And look, I got, fa- I got faith in them now, bro. Like, look, get to the conference finals. And depending on how I see the Suns looking, by playoff time, I'll have a certain prediction to be like, yeah, they could beat the Suns. Because I'll probably be like, yo, the Suns ain't, they're not clicking yet. So I, I look at it as they have more pressure than anybody in the West, in my eyes, Denver. Because of what they were built coming into the season, what they have. It was always the last two years, Clem. You notice they're not healthy. They're not healthy. And that was true. That, that wasn't cap. They're healthy now. Golden State ain't a threat no more. It's you and a remodeled Suns team, a young Memphis squad, and Sacramento just entering the playoffs. Not going to really count Luka because I, I don't really see it with the maps. It's, that's that's what you're competing with. There is no excuse. None. Well, I, th- I think if anybody's going to be on the hot seat, it's going to be Jokic because of the MVPs and his lack of playoff success. He, Michael Malone's nowhere near the hot seat, bro. Just let, let that ride out because nobody's talking about them not winning because nobody expected them to win the years prior. Like, we did. We knew their situation. It was like, okay. Um, what was it, 2017, they didn't make the playoffs. They lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the, the game to get in. 2018, right. like you said, they lost to Portland. But nobody expected them. That was their first year in the playoffs after a, a bit of a drought. And yeah, 2019, um, they get to the, the – or 2020, I mean, they get to the bubble championship. Um, or f- Lose the AD and LeBron. Today. 
lose right. to 80s line, but they overcame two, three, one deficits. Like, yes, they on did. one hand, it's like you shouldn't be there, but overcoming and winning is more important than like getting yourself in a hole. Um, and then obviously, you know, we know what's happened the last couple of years with the injuries and him not having the guys he needs to succeed. But I don't think Michael Malone is to blame here. I think if anything, they're going to put a lot of pressure on Jokic and question his ability as one of the Pantheon guys when he can't win, but he can win, you know, MVP awards. That's plausible, but here's a thing you, you know, got to introduce. Ownership is different. Well, it's not different. Up top is different now. Like, it's not the same guy that brought in Mike Malone. So he may look at this season as, all right, Mike, this is it. And if they come up short, we're going to have some tough conversations. While the media and us will talk about, yo, yo, bro, like, if you're really that guy, you got to step up. Behind the scenes in that organization, Yoke is not going to be getting that pressure. They're probably going to come up to Yoke like, yo, dog, like, what do you need for us to get you over the top? And if Yoke is like, get him out of here, he's gone. But I don't, I don't so, think Yoke is going to do that. Yoke seems like a... He's a very loyal guy. Like I don't, he is. and I don't think he's one to like point the finger. And Denver's not like one of these hot markets that like they're they're dying to make sure they're at the front and center of the NBA at all times. So I can definitely see them being like, okay, we want to win the championship. We're gonna find ways to like pivot to make sure. But I feel like from what I know, Nikola Jokic and Michael Malone have a good relationship, and unless something happens like disastrous that makes them fall out, I don't see Jokic going to them or, you know, them even putting the blame on him to be like, oh, well, it's your fault. Like, you know, I I, I don't think so. But, you know, you lose enough, anybody can get fired. Or if you don't exceed, uh, exceed expectations, then you're on the hot seat. I mean, shoot, I was thinking about the same thing with uh, Coach Jenkins and the Grizzlies, you know? Fair conversation. You know? It might happen. I mean, you know, Memphis fan base, like, bro, he trashed. <laughs> I mean, hey, things happen. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But we're going to wrap up this segment on the night. Episode will obviously be out tomorrow. But Clem, before we head out, it's All-Star Weekend, bro. Like, it's finally here. Mm-hmm. But as we head into All-Star Weekend, what are you looking forward to in terms of the games on the regular NBA circuit and All-Star storylines that you're intrigued to see happen? Oh, man, how can I not look forward to seeing what Kyrie Irving does this week? You know, Black History Month still has significant time left. And you know them Texans, all right? They're not particularly the kind of Black folks all the time. So I'm waiting for someone in the Texas region area to piss Kyrie off or say something to Kyrie. We already seen what he's done with Boston. We've seen what he's done um, with the Nets. His hometown, okay? Well, not Brooklyn, New Jersey. Um, so I'm really anxious to see when is he going to say or do something to piss Luca or the Mavs staff off even more. Um, but yeah, that's that's the main thing I'm looking at. And then obviously seeing, well, I guess we're not going to see Durant this coming week um yeah i'm gonna leave it at that i'm waiting to see what Kyrie does yeah and um just today they asked Kyrie about resigning 
And he was like, I don't want to talk about that because that would distract my teammates. So there you go. I mean, that's Even just that the introduction. Is like, <laughs> right. Just the introduction. So he just doesn't what could get it? it, bro. Like he he just doesn't. He just doesn't, bro. He doesn't. Um, just him wanting bro. to leave Brooklyn. I'm like, bro, like, I'm cool with you wanting to leave, but if the goal is for the max, like, okay, whatever. But yeah, he just doesn't get it. For me on my end, uh, obviously the Boston Milwaukee matchup. Just wanted to see how these teams close out the break. And then during the All-Star break, look at these competitions, you know, Rising Stars, Slam Dug, three-pointer. And then I'm really interested in the All-Star game because Curry won't be there, Zion won't be there. So we're going to see first-time starter Lori Markkinen. I think he's starting. Yes, he's going to be starting. So that's going to be interesting as well. My boy Ja finally got the starting bid that he deserved, him and Luka in the backcourt together. So I'm interested to see those dynamics and how everybody plays with each other in the All-Star game. And who wins All-Star MVP? Last year, Curry won it. was outstanding. So who will it be this year? I feel like it'll probably be a first-timer. I really do. Um, who will that be? Who knows? And then the All-Star environment in Utah, bro. Like, that's just going to be different. Obviously, I won't be there, but it's going to be different to see in Salt Lake City. 